Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 5, Episode 25 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. So we met once a week. Now, some of these kids had actually not attended a school building in two years, but they came to art club every single week and they read the book. They did all the artwork that you see in the Tired of Anxiety book. And they looked at the language. They told us if any of the language in the book didn't work for them, if they didn't understand it, if the words were too big or too small or too Irish or too American or whatever they told us, we changed it accordingly. So everything that you see in the Tired of Anxiety book, the one for kids, has been vetted by kids. And all the artwork in it was done by the kids that that attend the clinic. Hey, supers, this is it. The last part of my chat with Dr. Sarah Cassidy. It's the dramatic climax. Sarah is an educational child and adolescent psychologist. And now that we've set the scene, we dive into her book, co-written with Dr. Lisa Coyne. And the book is called... Tired of Anxiety, a kid's guide to befriending difficult thoughts and feelings and living your life anyway. So in this episode, you'll hear about how the book came to be, the collaboration with Dr. Lisa Coyne, the other books in the series, and how Sarah helps kids to reflect on their choices, notice the difficult stuff, and move forward, building skills for their whole lives. You'll also hear about the art for the book, my review and how toxic positivity can occur both in organisations and in family units. We finish with a highly useful takeaway from Sarah. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to help you glow to work a bit more often. Let's just scoot over to the news desk for I am delighted to announce that I'll be running an Act in the Workplace Train the Trainer course in April and May next year over four sessions and in partnership with Joe Oliver at Contextual Consulting. I'm super excited about this and you'll find all the links in the show notes. And reviews are in for part two of my chat with Sarah. There was a lot of love for this episode, and Ariana Prudenzi, friend of the show and former guest, said, Thanks very much, Sarah, for involving me in your exciting new projects. Looking forward to our symposium and reconnecting with you soon, and to future projects together too. And again on Facebook, Meg Buckley said, Great stuff. Love this take on labelling. Thanks to everyone who listened, shared and rated part two with Sarah. Your support is what makes the People Soup community so special. So please do keep listening and sharing and letting me know what you think. If you make some noise about the podcast and our guests, we'll reach more people with stuff that could be useful. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part three of my chat with Sarah Cassidy. Now, we're, we're going to talk about your book, Sarah. Excellent. Tired of Anxiety, A Kid's Guide to Befriending Scary Thoughts and Living Your Life Anyway by Sarah Cassidy and Lisa Coyne. Yeah. And I've actually read it and I've written a review. Cool. I'd love to share it with you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Peace Supers. Sarah hasn't heard this review, so this is, this is a, fresh, a fresh experience for her. So here's my review. Shanta, you stay. Bravo and thank you to Sarah and Lisa. This is an extraordinary book written by world-leading experts in the field 
and it makes the concepts from acceptance and commitment therapy absolutely accessible, useful, and fun for kids. I spend much of my time sharing the same skills with adults in the workplace, and I've lost count of the times that parents come and ask me during the training if there's any resources for their children. It's here. This is it. This is that resource, and there are more volumes to come. It comes with an introductory guide for parents, and I'd like to read an extract from that. It says, "This book was written for children with anxiety. The children that have already used the techniques in this book are real children with real anxiety from real families. They met in groups together. They practiced the skills together, and they even created some of the art in this book based upon their experiences." For me, this book should be sent free by governments to all children of about seven years of age, and I couldn't be more serious about that. I said to you earlier, Sarah, at times I was quite emotional reading this book because it's such a gift. I would have devoured it at that age, and I can just really imagine sitting down and reading this with my mum and us exploring it and getting so much out of it together. So don't hesitate, folks. Go out and buy this for every child in your life. And just to finish, just now when I thought I couldn't love it any more, there are audio recordings which add a whole new level to the skills that are shared. I've been listening to the audio recordings, Sarah. Love them. Thanks, Ross. And those audio recordings are actually me speaking directly to the kids I was working with at that time. I'm glad you felt them. Oh my yeah. God! Yes. Yeah. And I could, I know, I know your audience member can't see you right now, but I can see you. So I, I appreciate that very much. Um, and sometimes my um, middle child will have me play those recordings to him, which I think is really sweet because there's probably not a lot of kids that, that want their mom <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but hopefully he won't listen to this, or hopefully his friends won't hear this. <laughs> but. Um, it's a difficult thing, I think, anxiety. And like I was saying earlier, it's like you need to step inside it. And I think for each kid, it can be a little bit different. And I think a lot of the messaging that we give kids around anxiety, like you should feel something different, or you should do something different, or, you know, just do the thing, just get over it, just be done with it. That's not what I wanted to do with this book. And I remember many years ago, before I was such good friends with Lisa Coyne, I remember hearing her talk about anxiety. And, and I remember I had been treating anxiety for a number of years and thinking that, like, I just, I just wasn't quite getting it myself, you know, and I, I thought, God, I mean, I'm good with kids. I love kids. I have kids. What am I getting wrong? There was some bit of it that I just wasn't quite kind of wrapping my fingers around and when I, when I heard Lisa speaking one time, I thought, oh, there was something fundamentally different that she was doing. And she and I started working together around that time. And we wrote this book together. But one of the things I wanted to do was what I do in a clinic session. And, and that's what we're doing in this book. Like if you came to me in a clinic hour, that's what this book is, is, is session by session, what you'd get if you came to me in a clinic hour and we sat and we we trawled through what your experience would be like. We would explore what is it like for you, where I wouldn't tell you what you should be feeling. I would ask you and we would explore it together and I would invite you 
write it down on this page or think about it or listen to this mindfulness piece and, and take your time, you know, in your own time, explore this and, and play with it and draw on the page or go away and, and have a walk or have a listen and take your time, not in a clinic hour, not when there's 30 other people on the waiting list, but please take your time. This is for you. This is not for me or your mother or your teacher or your auntie. This is your life. What do you want it to be about? And, and I don't want to tell you what it should be like. I want, this is your precious life. You know, Mary Oliver says, what do you want to do with your one wild and precious life? And, and I believe that. I believe that your life and your time are precious. And I don't care if you're seven or you're 50. This is for you. Your time is precious. Uh, and I don't care if you're, if you're, if your mother's busy, you know, I, I don't give a flying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can I say F-U-C-K? You know, I, yeah, I, I, you I, yeah I, I don't care if you're four years old, your time is precious and what is important to you. And, and let's take the time as much time as you need. And let's, let's sit with it. And if you need the whole hour to sit with it and, you know, draw on one piece of paper or if if it's one hour, if it's 50 hours, let's take that time, whatever you need, because what we're doing here is we are playing the long game. We have a lot of kids that are coming to us and they're super anxious and they're not able to get back to school and everything becomes about aversive control and their lives are smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And everything becomes about dragging them in the school gates, you know, and we are going to get them back to school. And believe me, I get it. You know, I I absolutely get it that, that we want that. Of course we want to get them back to school. I completely understand. But if everything becomes about, forcing a child or shoving them back in like how much do you want to do that thing if you have absolutely no control over anything you know that's just horrendous if a child has no freedom or no choice and and like if you put yourself inside those shoes are you going to do that thing are you going to want to do that thing when you can exercise zero control of course you're not of course you're not I always, I always like the example of at what point does it become about letting the child choose? At what point does it become about letting go? And, and that moment where the child says, I choose this. And if we can get a child or, you know, uh, our next book is Teenagers. That book is already, is already finished, actually. So that'll be out in September. But at what point does it shift from me as a parent with my hands on a child's back, corralling a child in the school gates and, and a teacher firmly holding a child and sort of pulling them in and grabbing them in the classroom. So a child has zero control to a child saying, this is incredibly difficult and I am moving my feet in the school gates. I am choosing that. This is hard. feels like it's impossible. And I am doing it. I mean, from the outside, it might look very, very different. But if we can have that situation, but with the child choosing it, that's the long game. So it's, it's not about just one day. If a parent thinks or a school or a teacher think that it's only about getting the child into school, that's fundamentally wrong. It's not about just getting them in the school gates. It's about the child choosing. And we need to get that piece right. 
And, and if we don't get that piece right, like I would rather spend, I'd rather spend six weeks understanding how to get the child to choose how to get them in the gates than any other thing. Because if we can get that piece right, then you've got the long game. Mm. And, and so I, I think what you, what you heard in those audio recordings, Ross, was me talking directly to the kids that, that I was working with at that time. And the Art Club Kids, that was a very, very special project. And we did that during COVID. And we often do, we do a lot of mental health projects here at, at Smithfield Clinic and at NACOA. And we were, when we were doing the Art Club project, we had decided, because myself and Lisa were writing the book, we thought, God, wouldn't it be cool if some of the kids that were attending the clinic at the time, and we were, we were writing the book anyway, so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if some of the kids had a look at the book and had a read of it and said, does the language, you know, because I, I knew actually that this way of speaking to kids, I knew that it worked when kids attended me in clinic. I knew that because I could see them. I could see their faces when they were talking mm. to me in clinic. But I didn't know if when they brought the book away and read it, would it work for them then? So I sent the book or, you know, I had, so I wanted for the kids to come um, in to kind of meet with meet in a group once a week. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if they met once a week, read the book together, maybe did some of the activities and maybe did some of the artwork. And so we had them do that. And um, we, were, we were going to have them do it. And then COVID hit. So I was like, oh, how are we going to do this? But we had this local um, service here, Loud Meath Education Training Board. And I rang them up and I said, um, would you mind if we use, they had this giant kind of an old home ec room and a really tall ceilings. It was really well ventilated. And I said, would you mind if we use that, that room? And they really kindly said, yes, we could abide by all the, all the COVID procedures. So we met once a week. Now, some of these kids had actually not attended a school building in two years, but they came to art club every single week and they read the book. They did all the artwork that you see in the Tired of Anxiety book. And they looked at the language. They told us if any of the language in the book didn't work for them, if they didn't understand it, if the words were too big or too small or too Irish or too American or whatever they told us, we changed it accordingly. So everything that you see in the Tired of Anxiety book, the one for kids, has been vetted by kids. And all the artwork in it was done by the kids that, that attend the clinic. Mm. And that, that shines through. I think that's so powerful, Sarah. And what also shines through is what you were describing, that this, you're not suggesting how someone might feel. You're exploring with them and giving them literal space in the book to, to record that or draw it or, yeah. and be, be curious and sort of setting the expectation that there could be a whole range of responses to the questions you ask. Yeah. There's not a right or a wrong. Yeah. And that is so, so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we said that each week, like, we just want you to show up and, and we know that this is hard and we really appreciate you, you giving your time to us and you helping us with this book and you helping us with this project. And even them taking part in art club was a natural exposure for them. We had an art exhibition at the end of it and they all turned up for each other. And it was just a very cool, it was a very cool project. And it was actually a very, it was kind of, it was a very emotional project for me too, because 
I get really annoyed at kind of the systems and all the things we can't do right for kids. You know, I thought, okay, we got art club right. Uh, all these super anxious kids. And they were really excited about their artwork. And they were really excited to see that the artwork wound up in the book. And um, Wow. It's, again, it feels innovative and so original, but so powerful for them. And so it just, for me, it increases the accessibility level more. Yeah. yeah, it was very cool. And it was very cool to see the art that they produced. And it was very cool to see, like, art. the LMETB building is a school. And so for kids that had mm. not set foot in a school in two years, coming every week to a school, and we were there and they were reading a book and we were teaching them art, like everything about that was school and they were turning up every week. Um, wow. Then we put their work on display with other school kids. There was not a more natural exposure for anxious kids in the entire world and they did it. You know, it's just, it's incredible. Excellent. Um, amazing, amazing work. And, and what was the process of writing the book like? You oh. just mentioned you've got number twos oh, yeah, yeah. The, in the bag. The process was good. I suppose I had this book written in my head a long, long time. And actually, I had initially, I had a different publisher for this book. And Lisa has written a lot of books. This was my first one. But I kind of felt like, so I, I had the book kind of written, but with each chapter and with each time we went back and forth with the publisher, I felt like the book was moving farther and farther away from the book I wanted to write. And so when I started talking to Darren with Pavilion, Darren gave me a lot more license to write the book the way I really wanted to write the book. And I suppose, you know, there there are other publishers that maybe have kind of a, a stricter format in how the book should be, but it was really important to me that this book would be a book that could be accessible to children. And I think, you know, from your work with adults, most of the psycho, there's not, there's not a huge amount of, of psychotherapeutic materials that are age appropriate for kids. And most of the stuff that I was looking at was not digestible by children. And every time changes were being made, I said, this is getting farther and farther. Like no kid would ever read this. And I know from working with kids for 20 years, this has to be accessible uh, to a child. I edit for journals and I've, I've written a ton of scientific material. So I understand what the standard needs to look like. But I also understand that things need to be accessible to a child or a child is just going to shut down and walk away. So it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's quite nuanced, you know, what the pitch, you need to know your audience. Yeah. Crikey. Yeah. So, so the next one is teenagers, but yeah. there's, there's three more. Is that right? There's three more. Yeah. So there's teenagers, there's young adults, and then there is a parent's kind of accompaniment uh, for the kids one and the teenagers ones. Yeah. Wow. So the, the process, the process is basically kind of go through and Lisa and I are kind of turn taking. So I took lead on the kids one and Lisa took lead on the teen one and I'll take lead on the young adult one. And then, you know, so we're just sort of turn taking, but working closely together. Now, Lisa also did an art club project in Boston for the teen one. So there's lots of kind of international artwork going on. And yeah, so we've had way more artwork going on now since the first art club was so, was so successful. And so, yeah, loads more international art collaborations going on. Fabulous. There's one thing I want to, want to talk about and it's something I notice a lot in organizations kind of toxic positivity mm, yeah 
And I wonder if that, well, I'm guessing that does occur in family units yeah. too. People yeah. going, oh, just cheer up yeah, or no. don't worry. Yeah. And I think it's a real problem for organizations, even if they're avoiding, say, an executive level team or avoiding talking about the really difficult stuff. They're all going, look over there. It's yeah. almost collusion to not talk about that stuff and everyone just cheer up I know yeah I agree I think that's problematic and I, I think it's a naive assumption that we can just stop thinking about the difficult things and often when I'm leading a, a presentation whether it's to parents or organizations I would often use like the chocolate cake metaphor or the the pink elephant and I would ask people, stop thinking about this. And I'll show a big picture of a chocolate cake or a big picture of the pink elephant and say, now I want you to stop thinking about this while it's right front and center of the room. And this is what it is like for your child when they're worrying about being bullied at school or, you know, of course we want to get rid of this really, really difficult emotional experience. But if this is front and center in your mind or front and center of your lived experience right now, can't just make it go away and and saying to your child to just get over it um the literature on thought suppression tells us this doesn't work and so just telling them to cheer up get over it move on think positive it's not possible it's not helpful um Mm. yeah it's um i i think it's really unhelpful and I try to steer people away from it. But I, I, try, I suppose I try to steer people away from it in a playful way. I try to let people know that what they're doing is unhelpful. Yeah. And in, in workplaces, sometimes when I'm using a metaphor like passengers on the bus, mm-hmm. people will come to me at the end and say, oh, I thought it was just me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not mega frequent, but sometimes people go, or they hear a colleague who they respect and admire who's quite senior going, I'm scared or I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. Sharing some of their own thoughts. It's kind of like you can see them looking at them going, nah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so powerful to, to sort of counter this just horrible narrative of cheer up, turn that frown upside down. Mm-hmm. It might never happen. All that really I unhelpful know. shit. It's very unhelpful, Yeah. Um, it's, it's incredibly unhelpful. And I suppose that's in the culture and Mm. it's, it is a little bit slippery though. And I, I do try and draw distinctions because you see in compassion focused therapy that there is also this, um, I remember hearing actually, um, Russell Colts talking about your resting face. And if you place a gentle smile on your face, you know, that will send like a, a little message to yourself, you know, that you're safe and you're well, and I think actually my resting face is is quite neutral. And, you know, people you say to me, are you angry? And I'm like, no, I'm not angry. You know, I'm perfectly fine. That's my, <laughs> I do have the resting bee face. It turns out that's, that's actually my natural expression. Um, <laughs> so like there, there's a couple of different bodies of liter- literature to draw on, but forcing yourself or trying to force yourself to act happy when you've got something difficult happening in your mind and your body is really unhelpful. So I would always try to, to tell people that, like, as you call it, like toxic positivity is really unhelpful. And it's better really to model authenticity and to be honest with yourself and to be honest with your experience. And that squashing your emotions is is unhelpful. And to model what's actually happening for you in, a, in an honest and gentle way is much more likely to, to lend itself to the more positive long-term outcomes, if we're honest. Yeah. 
Yeah, and trying to model that as a facilitator with a group of adults mm-hmm. or in one-to-one coaching mm-hmm. can be super profound. Mm-hmm. The, the impact, it's just really subtle things mm-hmm. about how we, how we present ourselves. Mm-hmm. But also thinking about careers like flight attendants, mm-hmm. Oh, when yeah. they just have to be, welcome on board, welcome on board. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being an asshole. Thank you for being, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. I always have such respect for them because you never see the best of people on a flight. No, I know. You definitely don't. Nobody brings their best self no. to their... And it's that uh, emotional labor that they go through to... Oh, I know. Yeah. Hats off to them. Gosh, for sure. Yeah. I, I digress yet again. Mm. But but Sarah, I wanted to ask, is there is there a takeaway you would offer our listeners? Thinking about our listeners as adults and perhaps listeners who have children. Anything, any top tip you might give them just to reflect on? Top tip is that we often don't know how hard it is for young people. Yeah, one top tip. That's hard. You're sticking me in a box here, Ross. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can go to 17 yeah. if you like. <laughs> um, I think young people, I think a lot of the messaging that we give children and young people is actually a little bit arrogant. You know, I, I think we assume that they're, because they're young, that their lived experiences are easy. And, and I think that's a little bit insulting to what's honestly happening in their lives. Just because they're younger and smaller doesn't mean that their lived experiences are easy. And so what I would like for us to do instead is to give them a chance and the space to explore with honesty and with gentleness and with compassion to check it out for themselves. And I I would like for us to do that you know, slowly and compassionately with them. And I would like for us to model exploration, curiosity, softness, gentleness. And I would like for us, whether we're parents, adults, um, spirit guides, (laughs) whatever, whatever's our role in their life. But I would like for us to model with authenticity and courage, our own experience in, in kind and gentle ways. And let's not assume that we know what their experience is like because we don't, we don't. And their experiences may not be easy and it takes a lot of courage to notice what's coming up for us and and to face those sometimes really, really difficult things that are happening for them. And what was happening for us in our young lives when we were young might be very, very different in comparison to what's happening for them in their young lives now. So, so let's not assume our experience maps onto theirs uh, and let's instead say, I'm here for you in the background. Uh, I can't fix this for you, but I will hold your hand in the dark. I'm right here with you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. And you reminded me when I was reading the book, I was writing a few notes to myself and I really got this sense of respectful curiosity from you and Lisa as the authors that you're not mapping your experience onto theirs it's this real sensitive and and thoughtful curiosity but so respectful to the world of the the child as well so thank you thank you for thank you for articulating that so beautifully and thank you 
Sarah, so much for coming on the show. It's been a privilege to talk to you and an absolute joy too. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Ross. It's been absolutely brilliant to be on with you. And I really enjoy your podcast. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be a guest. Petty Supers, that's it. Part three in the bag. Thanks so much to Sarah and Elisa for writing this book. It will be so useful to so many. Please have a think about people in your life who might appreciate this book. Point them in the direction of these episodes or directly to the book. Even better, why not buy the book for them? What an outstanding gift. So much better and thoughtful and useful than some tat that will end up at the back of a drawer for eternity. A big thanks to my producer Emma. It's great to have you on board. And Emma is continuing her final year research in psychology at Dublin City University. She's exploring the relationship between interesting work and well-being. It's an anonymous online survey which takes less than 15 minutes to complete. Emma would greatly appreciate your participation in this study as it could provide some interesting insights on how we can better boost employee well-being. And the link to the survey is in the show notes. And of course, the study findings will be made accessible to you should you wish to find out more. We love to get your reviews and you can send them on the socials or even on WhatsApp. We are that modern. All the details are in the show notes. If you like this episode of the podcast, please could you do three things. Number one, share it with one other person. Number two, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review, whatever platform you're on, and particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts. The Apple charts are really important in the podcast industry. And number three, share the heck out of it on the socials. This will all help us reach more people with stuff that could be useful. I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. Most of all, dear listener... Thanks to you. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. Careers like flight attendants, mm -hmm. oh, when yeah. they just have to be, welcome on board, welcome <laughs> on board. Yeah. Thank you for being an asshole. Thank you for being, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs>